Alright, look at verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. It says, And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we be henceforth, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What I'm going to be preaching about tonight and where the text is from is in verse 15 where it says, speaking the truth in love. I believe as Christians we ought to speak the truth in love. But what does that look like? And one of the things, and this is just kind of a hobby horse I've been on for a long time because it just, this just kind of drives me crazy how, you know, about context, how it's so important to look at context. And we see, I see preachers all the time they will zero in on one verse of Scripture and then they will just attach definitions to it without looking at the context. And, it, and they're very deceptive with it because here they do, they've got an agenda, they have a sermon that they're wanting to preach, they have an idea they're wanting to get across, but they know in church you're supposed to have Bible to back it up. So what they'll do is they'll just take one verse and this is why verse-by-verse verse preaching is good. And you can do topical stuff. That's fine sometimes. But, you know, you've got to make sure whenever the preacher's preaching that he's, you know, not taking that verse out of context. If I just turn to one place and say, just look at this one verse, that's fine. We don't always have time to read the whole passage. But it's important that you know the Bible well enough to know if I'm taking it out of context. And because people today are not reading their Bibles, because they are not daily in the Scriptures... It is easier than ever for preachers to get up and take one verse and just run with it and run the wrong way. And people will think they're hearing Bible preaching because the guy used a verse. And, when, and the reason I picked this verse here, this speaking the truth in love. This is one that is often thrown in the faces of preachers like me who tend to get a little passionate sometimes, who tend to call names and uh, you know, get a little rough. On occasion, and you know, from people who don't like hard preaching, they get all bent out of shape. They get their little feelings hurt because they're a typical snowflake in this snowflake generation. And then they do they need to they need to rebuke us, and it helps if they have Bible. So what they'll do is they'll take a verse like this. You know, you're supposed to speak the truth, but speak it in love. You know, don't say it so mean. You know, why do you have to raise your voice? Why can't you just be calm? Why can't you just be like Jesus? Okay, you know, and, and then they just, oh, well, yeah, we're supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. Okay, but what was Jesus like? How did Jesus preach? Why don't we see some scripture on that? What does it mean to speak the truth in love? Can you show me some examples of that in the Bible? But what they do is they go and with their little effeminate, sissified attitude, they act like speaking the truth in love is just being weak, being wimpy, being a little pansy. And I saw an example of this that, kind of, that made, really made me think of it inspired this message. Some of you might know who he is. He's, he's this skinny little Australian from, uh, you know, a guy from Australia, Victor Tay, 
who does not like me, does not like preachers like me, or that are associated, you know, in the new life. And he's always making videos trying to attack us, trying to get an online following. And he's learned that there's a market out there for people who hate, you know, churches like ours. And if you attack us, it's a good way to gain subscribers and get YouTube views. And there's some pathetic losers out there who nobody cares what they have to say, but they love hearing anybody trash us. So, you know, he's making these videos and he was talking about our group and how, you know, you know, we're just we're so mean and how and he's starts using all these scriptures, kind of correcting us. And this is one, you know, and talking about speaking the truth in love, you know, and he's being all calm and sincere, and he's using, you know, he's he's being himself, all right. He's being the way this guy is, just an effeminate little metrosexual, you know, queer, you know, and it just creeps me out. And when, and when and he'll he'll bring up these verses, and I'll show you some of the verses that he brought up. And he's one of these internet preachers too. He pretended like he was a part of our group. He pretended that he believed like us in a lot of ways. But he's just an internet preacher. Everything he preaches is just popular stuff on the internet. And some of it lines up with what churches like ours believe. But a lot of it doesn't. And, he, and I thought he was involved with Pastor Anderson back before I knew him personally. And I was just like, I can't believe Pastor Anderson has anything to do with this guy. He's weird. You know, and he's effeminate and he's, you know, he's got some messed up doctrine. But he made it look like that, you know, from somebody who was just kind of an observer. But then I remember later... You know, Pastor Anderson got out and was like, man, I don't have anything to do with that guy. You know, he's not associated with me. And I was like, whew, I thought something was wrong. And I was glad to hear that. But, so, you know, he's making, he's making this video talking about all this stuff, about speaking the truth in love. You know, and one of the people in the comments, too, you know, very, you know he said that was great. You know, very calm and, uh, you know, controlled or very calm and to the point. And people like that kind of stuff. You know, it makes them feel good. But... Can somebody please explain to me how speaking the truth in love means I've got to be some effeminate, metrosexual, you know, pink shirt wearing, limp-wristed weenie? Somebody, somebody show me from the Bible, you know, prove, expound, and show that that's what that means. Why isn't me talking like this speaking the truth in love? I personally think it is. I personally think me calling people like him a little limp-wristed weenie and a false prophet and a phony, I think that's preaching. The, I think that's speaking the truth in love. And I am speaking the truth in love. And I'm going to prove that to you from the Bible. I went to a conference this week where I heard guys get up and speak the truth in love. I heard Pastor Anderson speak the truth in love like I never heard anybody speak the truth in love before. Alright? I believe that that is exactly what happened. Alright? But, you know, what is speaking the truth in love to Pastor Trendy? What is it? You know? Well, Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how to answer every man. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto you. I'm making myself sick talking like this. I don't know how these guys do it without throwing up. 2 Peter 1, 5. And beside all this, giving diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness and charity. See, he said charity is much higher than biblical knowledge. All right? I'll say more about that in just a little bit. 
1 Corinthians 13, 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, I do it with his accent, but I don't have a very good Australian accent, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Well, don't we feel good right now? Doesn't that, doesn't that just make, that makes me feel sick personally. Alright? But he said, he said in this video, he said, you know, we think that just because we're speaking from a pulpit, we don't have to speak the truth in love. And he added two words, and gentleness. Now that's not in that verse. That's not in that verse. But speaking the truth in love, that's a biblical term. So let's add, and gentleness. And now speaking the truth in love is talking like this. Very gentle, very motherly, right? You know, that, that's what speaking truth in love is. Watch for that stuff, alright? That was, that was a very telling part right there. You know, you said charity is much higher than biblical knowledge. He said love as opposed to doctrine should be the hallmark of a spiritual movement. And, you know, and he said, he clarified, now we should have good doctrine. But, you know, these new IFBers, they think they've got all that, they're all that in a bag of chips because they got such good doctrine, but they don't have any love, so they're nothing. But, here's the thing, alright? On one hand, okay, when, he, when the Bible says, you know, he's saying, add to your faith all these things, and then towards the end, he gets to charity, right? Okay? We're supposed to build on certain things. Well, if we don't have right doctrine, then you're, who cares if you have love? You haven't built anything. Alright? You haven't accomplished anything. What would be, what, what is the point of having a, you know, obviously, this would not be much of a building if we didn't have a roof, right? If we didn't have a roof, this wouldn't be a very good building. That roof is very important. We can finally use it. We can bring in pianos and furniture and things once we have a roof, okay? But here's the thing. If we don't have a good foundation, then who cares if we have a roof? It's eventually going to fall down. It's all going to fall apart. And the thing is, we do want to add to things, but if we don't have good doctrine, if we don't have a good foundation, okay, who cares about your roof? It's not going to last. It's going to collapse. It's not going to fall. Okay, who cares if the Catholics are more loving than we are? They have a bad foundation. Therefore, they accomplish nothing with that. You won't hear them get up and preach messages like we preach. You know? But they'll probably talk more about love than we do. Joel Osteen will talk more about love than we do. But who cares? He's got a bad foundation. He's got bad doctrine. See, this is his stupidity. This is all feel-good stuff. Coming out of his mouth where he's taking verses out of context. Alright? So, you know, what does it mean? Alright? Let's actually look at some of these verses and see what, it, you know, what these things actually mean. What does it mean to minister grace to the hearer? Alright? Does that mean being graceful like a ballerina? That, that's why he makes it want to sound like. Why don't we wear a pink tutu while he preaches, you know, and just be a little more graceful. That, that'll make everybody feel good, right? I mean, that's just ridiculous. What does that mean? Okay, grace. Okay, what is grace? What is it we often say when we're talking about grace? Unmerited favor, right? We're talking about the grace that God gives us. Unmerited favor. Favor is the key word there, okay? Grace means showing favor, all right? So I want my speech to be always with grace, Okay? Showing favor, goodwill, kindness, disposition to oblige another. My speech, the way I talk, should be meant to benefit you over me. That's what that means. 
Okay? I'm trying to help you more than I'm trying to help myself. Means, you know, if I'm administering grace to the hearer, it means I am preferring you over myself. In John 12, 42, notice what, so what, notice what this passage says. Here's an example of some people who did not minister grace to the hearers. It says here, they said, nevertheless, among the chief rulers, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. All right? In their minds, they knew what was right, but they wouldn't say anything with their mouths, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You know why they wouldn't speak the truth? Because they preferred themselves over everyone else. When I speak the truth, all right, when I'm speaking with grace and with favor, it doesn't mean I'm speaking in this graceful, poetic, you know, way that we'll all want to dance to it. That's not what it's talking about. It means I'm preferring you above myself. Well, you know why many preachers today won't preach hard? Why they won't get up and lift their voice like a trumpet? Why they won't speak the truth? Why they won't call sin exactly what it is? Because they prefer themselves over everybody else. Well, if I get up and I preach like that, if I get up and I'm calling you know, homos, queers, and fags, and all these things, then nobody's going to like me. People are going to leave the church. I'm going to lose my paycheck. But here's the thing. If I have grace, if I'm giving you grace, and my speech is with grace, I'm going to care more about what's good for you than what's good for me. And sometimes, me being nice and sweet and gentle and graceful as they would like to do it, that would be more beneficial for me. It might make me more likable in the community, but what good am I doing you? I'm not doing you any good at all. If I'm going to actually show grace in my speech, I'm going to be preferring you above myself. That means I'll be willing to say things that might get me in trouble. I'll be willing to say things that might make you mad, but it's for your own good. That's what that's talking about. It doesn't mean I'm just speaking in this calm, pretty, soft tone. That is not what it means. And people act like that's how Jesus talked. And where does that come from? Hollywood. Hollywood is where that comes from. We don't see that in the Bible. So that's just foolish. This means I'm going to tell the truth even if it makes you not like me anymore. Okay, I'm a normal person. As a pastor, I want to be liked. I want everybody to come to my church. But at the same time, sometimes speaking the truth will clear the room. We see Jesus often would lose massive audiences. Why? Because he spoke the truth. Eventually, it got him put on the cross for speaking the truth. So we, you know, and I believe Jesus' speech was with grace. Jesus clearly preferred them above himself. This means I'm going to preach what is good for them and not necessarily what is good for me. In Acts chapter 20, verse 18, it says, When they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you, at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Paul said, I didn't hold back anything that was profitable for you. Paul's motivation for his preaching and for what he taught is he's like, I want to help these people. I want to help my brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know what? I'm not going to keep back anything that's profitable. And Paul often got in trouble for what he preached. But you know what? He was willing to deal with that trouble. He was willing to often be beat up and often to be put in prison for speaking the truth because his speaking the truth was a benefit to everyone else. That, he, that's why he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God and the salvation. 
Okay? To the Jews and the, you know, the Greeks, it was foolish, foolishness, foolishness. Can't even say it. You know, people, they mock the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel. But Paul said, you know, I don't care. I'll be a fool for Christ's sake. Why was, why was he saying that? Because he's like, you know what? I'm thinking about other people. I'm not thinking about myself. Paul wasn't interested in lifting himself up. That was not what he was interested in doing. He was interested in helping people. So you know what he did? He spoke the truth. He spoke the truth in love. He loved these people. He told them what they needed to hear. And he did it with grace. He favored them over himself. That, because he spoke with grace, he often ended up in prison. He didn't go to prison for preaching the Joel Osteen type stuff. Or the Victor Tay type stuff. Okay? You know, see, so I have over there in Australia, you know, you've got Logan Robertson and you've got Pat, Victor Tay. You know, Victor Tay tries to act like he's similar. You have Logan Robertson who actually speaks the truth in love to Muslims and everybody. He actually speaks with grace, preferring others over himself. And he gets the Apostle Paul treatment. He gets ran out of the country. Okay? He gets the Apostle John treatment, basically gets exiled. Gets thrown, out of the, gets thrown out of the country. But yet, you know, the likes of Victor Tay will get up and he'll criticize guys like Pastor Logan Robertson. Do you not, I mean, do you not see how ridiculous that is? He's not worthy to speak that man's name, let alone criticize him. You know, Pastor Robertson's the one that actually practices these things that the Bible teaches. But people have fallen for all this foolishness from listening to all the false prophets to listening to all the trendies and all these ear ticklers that the Bible prophesied was going to come. Because there was going to be a day come where men were not going to endure sound doctrine. They were going to heed to themselves teachers having itching ears. But people know it's still tradition with us that we follow the Bible. So what are we going to do with some of these verses? You know, let's just pervert it. Let's just take it out of context. That way it looks like we're telling the truth, but we're not. And people are falling. For this foolishness. So, lost my spot here. Um, go to, let's see. Go to Colossians 4. Alright, yeah, Colossians chapter 4. Also, when I'm speaking to people too, and this is what Paul did, it means I'm going to speak to them in a way that shows they have a special standing with me above others. Okay? The way I preach to you is different than the way I preach to the world. I'll say more about that in a little bit as far as when we're out knocking doors. When we're out knocking doors giving people the gospel, you're probably not going to see me raise my voice. But I do hear. You know why? Because I'm speaking with grace to you. More than I do to them. I I do it to the world too, but I do it more so with all of you. That's why I appear to be so much meaner sometimes. And some of you are thinking, this isn't making sense, all right? It's because you're programmed... By all these limp-wristed weenies out there, all right, and you're not you're not thinking biblically, all right. I'll, I'll show you this, okay. So again, before we get to Colossians, I can the way to prove all this is by illustrating the way a, a parent speaks to their kid versus other kids, okay. What do you do if you're out in public and you see someone else's child doing something that they shouldn't do? Most of the time, you don't say anything, but if you do say something, you're usually very calm, right? Especially if it's a if it's a young kid, okay. Have you ever been out there and that you know there's some kid getting out of the line? I was just in Casey's this week and there was a whole bunch of little kids that came in there by themselves. They said they come over there every day. The kids aren't wearing shirts. They're not wearing shoes, and they're just 
getting into everything and the worker's just like stressed out of her mind and she's going over there and she's like, you know, guys, you know, don't, please don't do that. You know, please, uh, you know, you're not supposed to do that. You guys need to get what you're going to get. And, you know, she's, she's being all calm. She's, she's actually talking to them the way the Victor Tays want us to preach. Being all calm. Okay? Now, that's, that's what we would probably do too in that situation. Hey, kids, don't do that. But what do we do with those that we love? That those that we favor, alright? You stop that or you're dead meat. Does that mean we don't love our kids? No, I love my kids more. So I don't want my kids running through a gas station unclothed, trashing the place. Alright? I don't want that for my kids. So if my kids are doing something like that, there's going to be some yelling that's going to be going on. When we get home, there's going to be some paddling that's going to be happening. When we go home, there's going to be a speech that I'm going to give them that's going to be one that's full of grace, all right, that shows that I really care about them. And I'm, I'm, really, I'm really going to hammer them where other people's kids, I'm going to be pretty calm and, hey, you know, to see if I can get their attention. That's what I'm going to do with other people's kids. No one would say that yelling at your kids means you hate them, except an immature, spoiled brat with no understanding. Mom, Dad, why do you hate me? You know, that, and don't kids, do, don't kids do that sometimes, little kids? Mom, Dad, you hate me because you won't let me play in the street. You know, you won't let me do whatever I want to do. They act like we hate them. That's immaturity right there. Okay? And any preacher that would think a preacher who's preaching hard and yelling and calling stuff out, throwing wicked people out of their church, calling queers what they are, you, it's ridiculous that they would say, you know, how dare you speak that way? You're so hateful. No, actually, I'm very loving. I, I love them a lot. If I didn't care about my kids, I would either say nothing or, or, or you know, it's because I want to feel good to society. I'd be like, now, kids, don't do that. We shouldn't trash the gas station. And then when they continue trashing the gas station, boys will be boys. You know, kids are kids. You just got to wait for them to turn 18, right? Isn't that the worldly philosophy? I'm not doing that. That's not how it works. So, Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. What does that mean, seasoned with salt? I personally believe that means, it means to be nice. It means, you know, to make it taste, you know, salt makes things taste better. Okay? When we speak here, it's saying, be with grace, seasoned with salt. Okay? That we may know how we ought to answer every man. Alright? So, but here's, so Pastor Trendy, I would agree with his interpretation of this verse. But here's what Pastor Trendy is going to miss. Same thing Tay missed. He's a Trendy. And that's verse 5. Okay? Verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. This is how we talk to them out there. Like I was saying with the kids that aren't my kids. This is what we do when we go knocking on doors. Alright? You know, I don't go knock on a door and say, you know, and I, we're on a house where I see a Mary statue, and then just when they open the door, say, you don't know you're on, you know you're on your way to hell right now. I don't do that. I put some salt on it. You know, I try to be nice. I try to put myself in their place. I try to get their attention. I try to do something 
to you know, give them a chance to see that I really care, that I'm a nice person. My kids already know that I care. My kids already know that I love them. You all here, you already know all these things. Okay? So if I get up and I'm start, you know, I start yelling at you, I've got a right to do that. You know, we've, we've been friends for a long time. All right? You know, we've been there for each other. We've done things together. All right? I don't need to worry. I can just kind of give it to you straight. Okay? But the season with salt, that's towards them that are without. When it comes to church, okay, I'm preaching to the pe- some of the people that I love the most. So, I'm, man, I'm going to just lay it out there. I want to really make sure you get this. The only people I preach harder to than all of you are my kids. Okay? They really get it. Alright? You know why? Because I give them more grace than I do you. In other words, I favor them more than I do you. Sorry. That's just how it is. Okay? I think that's pretty normal and natural, but I do. I favor my kids above you. Get over it. Alright? So... And if you're the same way with your kids, that's fine. I got no problem with that. I'm not trying to take anybody's place. Alright? So, right there, that's how we are to the lost. Alright? And a parent, they usually do. They talk in a more harsh tone with their children than other people's. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. It says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers... Of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You see, in this passage, he's saying, hey, when you're being chastened, all right, when you're getting beat, when the world's not getting beat, it's because God's treating you like a son, where he's not doing that with them. Okay? On one hand, you can say you're getting worse treatment than the world does. If I go out and I get drunk, I believe I'll get in more trouble than a lost person. You know why? Because God favors me. So He's going to chasten me while He's not going to chasten them. And at the moment, it's going to seem like, Lord, why am I getting beat on? And they're not. But you know what? It's a good thing because that chastening that I received is for my profit. It will benefit me. It will cause me to say, I probably shouldn't do that again where the lost person is going to continue doing it again and again and again to their own destruction. So we see that parents deal more harshly with their children because they love them more. They favor them. They have more grace for them. And so, once again, there is, it, it, there's going to be a difference in how we handle things here uh, versus how we preach to people out there. Proverbs 13.24 says, he that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth, loveth him chasteneth him betimes. The world says you hate your kids if you spank them. Okay? And that's why some of you think that you know speaking the truth in love is being effeminate. And talking all calm instead of you know, lifting up your voice and hollering like a loving parent does. And the Bible says here that that, par- that parent who does not spank their children does not love them. 
The world thinks I love them too much. No, you don't. You love yourself. You don't want to deal with the pain and the, and the you know, it you know, hurts us more than it hurts them, right? Isn't that what we try to tell them? Alright? But hey, it's no fun doing that kind of stuff. It's work disciplining your kids. And the, but the, in the world, because they love themselves, they don't want to do the work, or they love themselves in the sense that I don't want people to know that I'm doing what's not popular. Because I want to fit in with my little social club that you know, medicates all their kids and just gives them timeouts. They want to fit in with them. The problem is they love themselves according to the Bible. And the reason Pastor Trendy won't get up and lift up his voice and yell and call things what they are is because he loves himself, not because he loves his people. He's not loving. That's why they're not going to get up and preach on drunkenness and fornication and cross-dressing and all the junk that's going on, even in churches today. Because they love themselves. They have no grace. There is no grace in these people. They, they do not speak the truth in love. They, and some of them too, they might speak the truth, but they don't do it in love. Alright? In other words, you know, they'll get up and say what they have to say, because they have to say it, right? You know, they'll get up, you know, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Shouldn't drink, folks. Then just leave it at that there. I told them. I said what I was supposed to say. Instead of getting up and just screaming about drunkenness, and just making a big deal, and doing something to show the urgency of this and to show how serious it is because they don't want to offend that guy in the church who drinks but puts money in the offering plate every week. See, they love themselves. They don't love that guy. If we got somebody in our church and he's a drunk and he gives a lot of money, if I love him, I will preach the truth even if it means losing his money. If I love myself, I just want that money coming. So I'm not going to say anything. But you know what? I'm going to let my speech be always with grace. I'm going to favor him over myself, and that's what we're supposed to do. So pastors who don't, you know, pastors who don't preach hard, they don't love their people. They are not loving. They're not loving people. Just mark it down. You may say these people are loving. You know, oh, there's no way you can tell me these people aren't loving. I mean, they are just so kind. They're just nice. I mean, he's got a heart tattooed on his arm. You know, he's obviously loving. Listen to how he talks. Yeah, okay, I'll give it to you. He's loving, but he loves himself. Joel Osteen is oozing with love for himself. Okay, that's the truth. The man loves himself. And boy, has he been good to himself. Alright, the guy's gotten filthy rich from loving himself and promoting himself while making merchandise of people. That's the kind of person that he is. Yeah, he's loving to himself. But we are supposed to love others. We're supposed to prefer others above ourselves. And so, we're not commanded to season our salt or our words to everyone. Well, it says that you know how to answer every man. Alright? Well, it's talking about a specific group. Alright? And once again, no, every man. No, it's talking about those that are without. Alright? And knowing how to answer every man. You know, there's different types of people all over the world with different ideas and different cultures and we need to know how to try to reach these people. And so we got to season our words with salt so we'll know how to answer every man. Okay? And proof of this too, that we don't have to... We're not commanded to season our salt 
with just everybody that's out there. I'll just read a few verses real quick. Titus 1.10 says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretan are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. The Bible says, you know, be all gentle and meek and salty. And No. He said, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Second John 1.10, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not in your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Okay? We do, you, when the Jehovah's Witnesses come by your house, when, they, when you're kicking them out, alright, when you're throwing them off your property, alright, don't be polite. Don't use kind words. Don't, don't do what a lot of people do to us. Hey, I don't agree with you guys, but I appreciate what you're doing. I commend you for this. Well, hey, if you're teaching a different religion, if you're teaching one way to heaven, we're teaching another way to heaven, shouldn't you be condemning what we're doing? Why don't you be the real deal and run us off? I don't, tell, I don't tell people that. But you know, I have no respect for people like that. None at all. We're not supposed to bid these people Godspeed. Don't say goodbye. Say good riddance. Alright? You know, say, you know, get out of here and you know, go ahead and be rude. There's, that's what the Bible says. We don't want to encourage them. If we encourage them, we're partaker of their evil deeds. It's amazing how many people I've had that don't agree with us, they don't get say or anything, but they'll throw me some flattery as they send me away. And, you know, it feels better than getting cussed out. I don't feel like quitting as much when that happens versus getting cussed out. But at the same time, you know, we do. We want to discourage these, these people because they're spreading false doctrine. They're leading people to hell. They're, uh, Proverbs 19, uh, verse 5. Proverbs, or, no, or 25, I'm sorry. 19, verse 25. See, the reason people like Victor Tay get offended all the time is because we're not trying to be nice to people like him. Okay? I'm, I'm not trying to be nice to him. I'm not trying to reach him. He's leading people astray. Okay? He got his feelings hurt a while back because one of the trendyisms, one of the popular trendyisms, is a Jesus only baptism. He always wants to be cutting edge and everything. And so instead of baptizing him with the Father, and Son, and the Holy Ghost, he was doing a Jesus only baptism before all the Trinity stuff erupted. And when people started preaching against that, you know, he, he couldn't say, oh, he didn't have enough humility to say I was doing it wrong. So he doubled down and he started, he started fighting all of it. You know, and so he's always, you know, he's always attacking and trying to, you know, expose us and just be an idiot and stuff like that. But the thing is, you know, he's, so now he's leading people astray. You know, he's mad that you know his following got hurt when he got called a heretic publicly. And so now he's lashing out, realizing there is there's a market for Pastor Anderson haters. And he wants to tap into that market. So he can once again he's thinking about himself and what he preaches. And when there's people out there doing that that are leading people astray, and some of these people that are leading astray, you know, some of them are just bad people. Alright, they were already astray. But there are some people that are decent, they're just idiots. Alright? There's some dumb people that are good people. They're just dumb. Alright? There's this Jonathan Dale guy who's always leaving comments on there who back when all this was going, he was always kept going back and forth, back and forth, depending on what message he heard last. 
Always going back and forth. Finally, he got called out for just being all over the place by our crowd. Got his feelings hurt, and so he joined the modalist side. Because they don't hurt his feelings. They speak the truth in love to him. You know? and, and the guy's just an idiot. Just you know, to and fro, hither and thither, all over the place. Has no clue where he's going. Has no idea which direction is up. And, you know, but people like him, I don't know him personally, but, you know, probably, you know, if more people would have spoke the truth and love to him, if when he did get called out, he didn't have a bunch of false prophets over there, oh, to give him a hug and pat him on the back saying, we'll be nice to you. We won't call you out for being wishy-washy. Then you know what? He may have been sound in the faith. He may have manned up and just read his Bible finally. And figured things out for himself. But now, you know, he's on the other side. People like that are being led astray. I don't have to be nice to people that are hurting people, that are leading people astray and leading them into damnable heresy. I don't have to do that. And I'm not, I'm commanded not to be that way. And I'm not going to. Proverbs 19.25 says, says, smite a scorner and the simple will beware and reprove one that hath understanding and he will understand knowledge. When I'm calling out false prophets or if I'm calling out a pervert or whoever, I'm, I'm speaking the truth in love when I do that. Okay? If we have a pervert in here and I tell him, I get up and I say, you filthy animal, you get out of this church and never come back. I'm speaking the truth in love. Say, so, no, you're not. You hate that guy. Well, yeah, if he's a pervert, I absolutely hate that guy. But I'm speaking the truth in love. You know what I'm doing? I'm loving everybody else. I'm loving the kids that we have in this church. I'm loving potential victims. Right? I'm loving the people that matter. Right? I don't want that perverts, they recruit. They like to hurt people and they like, you know, they like to corrupt these people, hoping to make them a hater of God just like themselves so they can be given over to a reprobate mind. That is what they do. And I'm not commanded to love people like that, but I am commanded to love everybody else. And so because of that, I'll, be, I'll say that type of thing and I'm speaking the truth in love. I love everybody else. Look at Deuteronomy Chapter 13 and verse 6. Deuteronomy 13, verse 6. Just mark it down. Any preacher who says they love sodomites are liars. They love themselves. End of story. Deuteronomy 13, verse 6. It says, If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, from one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth. Thou shalt not consent unto them, him, nor hearken unto him, neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. And thou shalt stone him with stones, that he die, because he has sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And all Israel shall hear and fear, and shall do no more any such wickedness as this is among you. You know why they kill the guy who's trying to lead people astray? One of the reasons is so everyone else will see that and fear. Okay? And so God gave this command to Moses and the children of Israel telling them, hey, when you got somebody that's going to try to lead you after other gods, show no mercy, kill him. Why? Because you've got to think about everybody else in the camp. 
You've got to think about these young children. That person is going to lead people to hell. So you don't know you do? You don't pity him. You kill him. And because they love everybody else, they had to do the right thing. And not only that, that's not the only reason. What do we see happen over and over again in Israel when they would start following other gods? Well, first of all, when they were following other gods, it was clear they weren't putting people to death for leading people astray, were they? They clearly weren't obeying that law. Otherwise, only one person would have been recruited or attempted to be recruited. They didn't follow that law. They weren't putting these people to death, so they would often start following other gods as a nation. And what would always happen? Thousands would die because of it. Thousands of people would die as a result of it. And so the truth is, you say, oh, you're not loving. You know, that wasn't very loving. You know, God was so mean in the Old Testament. The Old Testament God was so mean and so, so unloving. Telling them to put somebody to death just because they say go follow another god? No, the problem is God loved the thousands of other people that were going to die if they started serving other gods. But you know what? The truth, and we know this today, alright? We know the potential damage that just one queer can do. The amount of disease they can spread. The amount of people that they can recruit. The amount of people, young children that they can defile. We know what they can do. And when a preacher, and I know pastors, I know of a church right now here in Illinois, they have a guy in their church, admits he's a homo, they know he's a homo, but as long as he just continues just living with his wife and keeps it, because he was married, she found out he's being a queer, and they're like, they pretty much just, you know what, just keep it quiet. As long as he's still married and they're not getting divorced, he can still keep serving in the church. Yeah. Baptist church. That, that pastor does not love his congregation. He loves himself. You know why? Because, what, you, know, you know what he's afraid of? He doesn't want to get up in his large congregation that's got a, you know, a lot of people in there, you know, fairly liberal congregation, and get up and say, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to throw so-and-so out of the church because he's a queer. He doesn't, he, doesn't want, he doesn't want that to hit the newspapers. He doesn't want that to hit social media. You know, he can't handle that bad publicity. The man loves himself. He does not love his congregation. And let me tell you something. These laws, like we just read in Deuteronomy, these are very loving laws. And it is hateful. And it is cruel to think otherwise and to not follow these things. And I know as believers today, we don't have the right to put people to death But if there's somebody that's killing people spiritually, you know what? Let's stone the guy spiritually. Let's beat the tar out of him spiritually. Let's expose this vile creature. And let's get the word out on him and hopefully ruin him. That's what we ought to do. Why? Because we love others. We love the people that they could potentially lead astray. We see the sneakiness of this and we don't do it to help them, we do it to help everybody else. That's why it says, smite the scorner in the simple world we wear. It doesn't say smite the scorner and he'll learn his lesson and become a good productive citizen. No. Smite the scorner and even a simple person look at that and say, ouch. I don't want that to happen to me. What did he do to get smitten like that? I better not do that. And because we love other people, alright, we've got to punish the evildoers. That's what the Bible teaches. And to not punish them you are, these are not loving people. 
These are people who love themselves. And they are uh, horrible people that we ought not want to have anything to do with. But real quickly, here's, here's, I'm going to show you two, I think, of the greatest examples of people who spoke the truth in love. Alright? Turn to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. We don't have time to go into all the Scriptures that I need to for this. But verse 31 says, this is Moses, alright? Moses, I think, is a great example. This is after Israel. They've gotten in trouble. They've messed up. God's ready to kill them. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and I have made them gods of gold, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Moses loved the people of Israel so much that he said, Lord, send me to hell. Lord, finish me off instead of them. That's what God said. Or that's what Moses said to God. And God did not do that. God did not take him up on that. But that's what Moses was saying when he was saying, blot me out of thy book. I believe he was saying, you know what? I'll, I'll take it for him. I'll go to hell for them. The Apostle Paul, he said, I, wish, I could wish that myself were accursed for my people Israel. You know what those two guys have in common? They often spoke, they were often very harsh to those people. Paul said some pretty nasty things to the Jews sometimes. He spoke some pretty harsh words. Moses is the one who gave these people these laws and executed many of these laws. Who often had people put to death. You say, Moses, that wasn't very loving when he's having these people put to death. Moses was willing to go to hell for these people. I don't love anybody that much. Okay? But Moses, there... Besides Jesus Christ, you don't get any more loving than that. Him and the Apostle Paul were like that. But these guys, man, they laid it out. They told the truth. The Apostle Paul, you know, he, he called people names. He called one guy a whited wall. You know, uh, let's look at Jesus, alright? Matthew chapter 23 and verse 13. Okay, and this, when people start saying, you know, they'll start criticizing, hard preaching and all this stuff. We need to be more like Jesus. Yeah, your Hollywood hippie version of Jesus. Not the Bible version of Jesus. Matthew chapter 23, I think it's one of the hardest sermons you ever see. One of the hardest sermons in the Bible. Matthew 23, 13. When Jesus is saying this, I have a really hard time picturing Him saying it like they want us to talk. I just think, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer them that, enter, that are entering to go in. He's saying you're stopping people from going to heaven. Do you really think he said it like that? No, I think it was probably more like, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! There's an exclamation point there. For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. I think he was raising his voice right here when he said this. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more a child of hell than yourselves. He just called them children of hell. That's what he just did. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind. For whether is greater the gold of the temple that, or, the, or the, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold, and whosoever shall swear by the altar does nothing. 
but whoso sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty, ye fools and blind. For whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift, whosoever therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all things thereon, and whosoever shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to have left the other undone. I think he preaches just like Joe Major, personally. I can't do a good Joe Major. That's what I picture. He's letting it rip. He's laying it out. Ye blind guys. He already told them they were blind before. Why do you have to mention that again? For emphasis, alright? He's fired up. Which strain in a gnat and swallow a camel. Isn't that kind of be an extreme right there? Did they really swallow a camel? Alright? He's speaking figurative here. Alright? He's fired up. Alright? He's using some pretty strong language. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind. He keeps mentioning blind. Alright? Why? He keeps mentioning that. Cleanse first that which was in the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Not meaning you just descended from them, meaning you're doing the same thing. Okay? That's what he's talking about there. Even though they did this thing, he's like, you're doing the same thing. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Were these people reprobate? I believe these scribes and Pharisees were. Why isn't he being nice to them? Why isn't he talking to them the way we're supposed to talk to the homos? According to Pastor Trendy. Why is he talking to them the way that we talk to reprobates? He's insulting them. He's yelling at them. He's pronouncing damnation on them. He's, I mean, he's all over them. And then he goes on, um, verse, let's jump down to verse 35. It says, That upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her children under her wings, and ye would not. I gave you chance after chance. It sounds like he that being often approved and hardened his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Sounds like they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge and God gave them over to a reprobate mind. He says to them, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And you know what? In 70 AD, their house was left in them desolate. It got tore down. It got ripped apart. They were destroyed. They went through... You know, they were driven out of their land. Many of them were killed. Just like Jesus said. 
You know what? He, he was pronouncing judgment on him. And you know what? That was some pretty hard preaching right there. And that was from the most loving... That, that was from the very source of love himself. Okay? Love is of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I mean, love cannot... You, you cannot compare any love to the love of Christ. And He preached hard. And He was mean. And He was insulting to people who were reprobate. And for some reason, many Christians have followed for this fake Jesus. This fake, hippie, long-haired, sweet boy Jesus that only speaks calm. And they call it speaking the truth in love. Speaking with grace. Seasoned with salt. That is not what we see in the Bible. But let me tell you, the type of thing that we see in the Bible... That's the type of preaching that we have around here. These are the type of preachers we're going to have coming in, alright? We're going to have Pastor Manley coming in here. And this guy, man, he preaches with grace. We had Pastor Joe Major here, man. That guy's got a lot of grace when he preaches, alright? A lot. <laughs> I, you know, and, and I love it. That's what it's all about. Exodus, or, um, I'm sorry, uh, 2 Chronicles 19. We'll, we'll end right here. But why is it? Why is it that pastors who are known and criticized for preaching the hardest are often the ones doing the most souling? Why is it that back when Baptists in the old IFB world were preaching hard, soul winning was booming in those churches? Why is it that when the hard preaching went, the soul winning went also? You know why? Because soul winning is motivated by love. Hard preaching is motivated by love. Soft preaching, the feel-good community junk, that's motivated by love for self. And that's why in churches like ours, we see the most soul winning and we see the most hard preaching at the same time. Because these are loving people. Very, very loving people. Often when people meet some of these pastors, like, oh, they're so nice and real person. And, you know, they're, they're so nice and person. You know, not like when they're preaching. Well, you know, so when they're preaching, their congregations, they love those people a lot. You know, they don't know you yet. So you're getting the, you know, you're getting the salt <laughs> treatment. That's that, you know, that's what you're getting. That's the way it is. But yeah, this, the, the answer to all this is very clear. You know, preachers who won't preach the truth, they're not loving except for themselves. And somehow, even Baptists have let Hollywood's portrayal of Jesus Christ define the attributes of Christ. People's Scripture reading is so small, their biblical knowledge is so illiterate, when some soft-spoken little metrosexual trendy comes up and he makes a video talking about speaking the truth in love, seasoning it with, seasoned with salt, being graceful in our speech, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, people are falling for that. People are falling for that. And it's important that we follow biblical examples and not the world's. Second Corinthians or Chronicles 19.1 And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Y'all see that? Why would you love those 
who hate the Lord. Why would we do that? Why would we love people that the Bible clearly says are haters of God? Because the Bible says, love your enemies. Yeah, I can, I can love my own personal enemy. If you do something to me, I can be good back to you. But you know what? If you smite me on one cheek, I can turn the other cheek. But you go smite my wife on the cheek. Alright? I'm not going to ask her to turn the other cheek. I'm going to turn your other cheek. Alright? All the way around. That hard, all right? that, that's how it works. And you know what? Because I love Jesus, if somebody hates Him, okay, we've got a big problem. We've got a huge problem. I can love my own enemies. I, if, if I want to just take something, if I want to take abuse, I can do that. But I have no right to let somebody do that to my family. I have no right to let somebody you know, do that to, to the people that I love. I would be a pretty sorry husband. I'd be a pretty sorry dad. If I let somebody hurt my kids, I'm sorry, I'm just too loving to do anything about them. Yeah, but they're hurting your kids. I'm sorry, I just love them. You know, that, that cousin, that uncle, that family member that's a homo that you let come over and stay at your house for the holidays, well, I, I, I love them. No, you love yourself. You don't want the criticism. And you don't love your kids if you would let a pervert and a predator in your house just so you don't make some family members mad at you. You are these people that talk this way are liars and hypocrites, and even Baptists are falling for this. We cannot do this. We have to have a biblical mindset, and the Bible is very clear on this. We have spelled out verses, and we have clear examples. And I believe when it comes to preaching in the church that we need to preach hard. We need to let it rip. We need to tell it like it is. And I believe when it comes to reprobates and perverts, things like that, we need to be mean. When it comes to false prophets, we need to be mean. Why? Because we're trying to be like Christ. And when it comes to those that are without, all right, let's use some salt for those with those people. All right, we don't. Let's use some salt. Let's try to reach them, and hopefully, we'll reach them. And then when they do, they become a brother. Now all of a sudden, they're going to get that favor that you all get, and they're they're going to get the good stuff. Then that, that's the way. That's the way it's going to work. And so I hope that was helped you. Let's pray, dear Lord. We thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for preachers that tell it like it is, who love others more than they love themselves. And dear God, I just pray that You'll help us to take stands against these false prophets that are just leading people astray. Help us to be bold. Help us not to care what others think or how things will make us look. But You'll help us to be good leaders in our homes and uh, that we'll do the right thing so we can really make a difference and protect those that You've put uh, in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.